0: It's Midday Magazine for Monday, September 25th. I'm Shelby Herbert. With Congress unable to agree on a spending plan, federal agencies are preparing for a possible government shutdown that could begin as early as October 1st. Alaska is home to about 15,000 federal workers. They'd be affected differently, depending on what jobs they do and how their agencies are funded. Some workers would be furloughed. They'd get back pay when Congress passes a bill to restart the government. Essential workers, like air traffic controllers and FBI agents, would work, but without paychecks until the impasse is resolved. The military must also remain on the job. Congress usually passes a bill just before a shutdown to keep pay flowing to service members, but many civilian employees would be furloughed. Government contractors often have to stop projects, and their employees don't always get back pay for unworked hours. A shutdown only freezes agencies that depend on annual appropriations bills, which is about a third of federal spending. The Indian Health Service, Social Security, and the U.S. Mail would be largely unaffected. If Congress doesn't pass new spending bills, it would launch the 15th shutdown since 1980. Petersburg's Public Safety Advisory Board has two open seats in next month's municipal election. Five people are running. The board is tasked with advising the Borough Assembly, Police Chief, and EMS and Fire Director on matters of public safety. KFSK has been airing conversations with each of the five candidates. KFSK's Hannah Flora sat down with incumbent Stan Yort to talk about why he's running for the position. Yort says serving on the board is something small he can do to help the community.
1: I've lived here seemingly forever, over 50 years. I come to Petersburg after I got discharged from the service in 1966. Always heard about how great it was. I figured I'd want to raise a family here and I got my credentials and I worked on the ferries for 25 years and uh, I I just like living here. I like the people. I don't necessarily like the weather, but we had a good summer, so the payback has always got to happen sooner, sooner or later. So I uh, had a certain number of people. I supervised on the ferries when I worked on the ferries, anywhere from two to six. And uh, I was a first engineer, and I liked it. Running a ship is great once you get away from the dock. I don't know what else I could say. Uh, I've been on this committee for three elections, if I remember right. And I I felt when I got on it that it was something that I could do in a small way that maybe people might benefit. And so uh, that's what I do.
2: So why are you interested in serving on the Public Safety Board? You kind of just answered that question. but.
1: Well, they need somebody to serve on it. But like I say, it uh, serving on a public safety board, uh, it, it's a small way that I can do something and uh, hopefully people will benefit. And there's a, a couple items that I've brought up years gone by things that I seen needed to be addressed here in town and I put a, up a squawk, squawk on the board and and lo and behold they were addressed somewhat gratifying to see you can actually get lucky once in a while.
2: Are there any particular projects or safety concerns that you want to address?
1: Well, I haven't been out around town looking lately. I've been kind of under the weather. Uh, As of right now, nothing I could say because I haven't been out seeing what could be improved.
2: The borough code says the role of the public safety board is to advise the fire department, the police department, and the assembly on matters of public safety. Um, I'm curious how you see yourself working with those groups moving forward.
1: Well, they, they need people that understand what they're working with and what the ramifications are when it's going to come to a vote and you're not looking at this year or five years down the road as far as facilities or libraries, fire halls, swimming pools. You're looking at 25 to 40 years probably, and that's pretty important. And you need people that will look down the road and see and maybe make adjustments in their attitude or what they see and discuss it with other people. And uh, ultimately, uh, it'll be discussed. And through the democratic process, hopefully it'll be addressed That's about all I can say.
2: Is there anything else you want to add?
1: Well, (laughs) not right now, but I can think of a half a dozen things when I get home, probably. (laughs)
0: That was candidate for Public Safety Advisory Board Stan Yort speaking with KFSK's Hannah Floor. This is the last of five conversations that KFSK has aired with each of the candidates. Past conversations can be found on KFSK.org. Petersburg's municipal election is Tuesday, October 3rd. Early voting is available weekdays from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the municipal building. Two new species may have been discovered in the Aleutians by a federal research vessel this summer, as Sophia stewart razi reports. Scientists describe the new sea sponge and sea pen as unique ecosystem
3: engineers.
1: Sitting on the edge. On the edge. Uh, there we go. So, oh God, that looks good. I don't know if the part of it broke off. A
3: group of scientists on the Okeanos Explorer is controlling a remotely operated vehicle over 9,000 feet down in the deep sea of the Aleutians. They're using a suction cup to collect a sea pen on the seafloor. It's a little creature that resembles a feather. Oh, I see it. It's actually on the top of the filter. There it is. That's it. All right, great sample. Thank you, pilots. Yeah. The sea pen is one of two new species the research team found this summer. They're with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration mapping the deep waters in the Aleutians for the first time. The team also found a new sea sponge. Brian Waller was a lead biologist during the expedition. She says the new sea sponge was found while exploring a sea field in the Bering Sea. She says the field was so full of diverse organisms that it could be confused for a coral reef in the Caribbean.
1: You know, it was hard even to count the number of, of sponges that we saw. There's this huge diversity of life, diversity of sponges, diversity of corals, and then diversity of fish and, and crabs and sea stars and all these other organisms that use these corals and sponges as habitat.
3: Waller says both of the new species are ecosystem engineers. She says small organisms will live in their bodies and use them to protect themselves from predators.
1: Their whole body is forming this habitat that increases the number of general species that live in an area. So they're really, really important for the, the deep sea habitat that they are in.
3: She says scientists use a remote operating vehicle to take photos and videos and collect samples of the potentially new species. Waller says a big driver of the exploration is seeing what organisms live on the region's seafloor.
1: Aleutians is really one of these unique areas in the globe. They have this huge diversity of lots of different species. We don't yet truly understand why it's there or why this area is really great for it.
3: Waller says her research team used high-tech operating systems that could go thousands of meters into the deep sea. She says the crew found sea stars and corals that have never been documented in the Aleutians before. Samples of the new sea pen and sea sponge were sent to the Smithsonian to confirm that they are, in fact, a new species. In Unalaska, I'm Sophia Stewart-Rossi.
0: The collapse of king and chum salmon runs on the Yukon River has been devastating for communities who depend on them. The cause is still a puzzle, but scientists say climate change is playing a big role— Kavitha George has been exploring the Yukon salmon collapse. Today, she digs into what we
2: know now. When it comes to what's causing the Yukon salmon collapse, scientists know one thing for sure. It's not just one culprit. J.D. Ferguson is a fish pathologist with the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. He says researchers have identified a bunch of threats facing Yukon king and chum salmon.
0: So it's really hard and probably unrealistic to just, like, point your finger at one thing and say, ah, That's what's doing
2: it. Those Um, threats pop up at every stage of the salmon life cycle. When salmon hatch in freshwater streams, as they swim down the Yukon to the ocean where they spend most of their lives, and on their arduous journey back upriver to spawn and die. Scientists think many of these threats are connected to climate change. There's lots of research happening right now, but there are three big problems they've identified. Problem number one, a parasite, which Ferguson is studying in his lab in Anchorage. You know, this
0: is where we do necropsies on fish. So it's a
2: room lined with refrigerators and lab equipment. Ferguson's colleague, Davis Stewart, slides a test tube containing a little chunk of fish under a microscope and shows me our salmon killer, Ichthyophonus. This
1: is a piece of heart tissue from, the, from a Yukon Chinook. The UConch, no. and you can see all the Ichthyophonus growing out of it. Yeah.
2: Oh,
3: wow. Yeah.
1: Under so start- the
2: microscope, the salmon tissue is modeled with big white dots, each one a single parasite that will grow, draining the fish's resources and causing cells to die. Many infected fish don't survive long enough to lay eggs.
0: And it's almost like an arms race. Like, can they get to the spawning ground before... They die prematurely
2: ichthyophonus was first reported in the 1980s but in recent years it's exploded in 2021 scientists found it in more than 40 percent of yukon king salmon sampled it's unclear what's driving the spike but ferguson says warming river water might play a role the yukon is warming twice as fast as rivers further south as a result of climate change and that brings us to problem number two hot rivers or, well, warm rivers. Dr. Vanessa von Biela is a U.S. geological survey ecologist.
0: I mean, it's crazy to be at the Northern Range extent of salmon and talking about it being too hot for them.
2: But it is. Salmon are cold-blooded, meaning they can't regulate their internal temperature. So when the river gets above 65 degrees Fahrenheit, Von Biela says that's a problem.
3: Their whole physiology, their whole body is designed to be in cold water. So when that water is warm, they just really hit these
2: limits. In a 2020 study, Von Billa found that in an average year, half of all Yukon kings swimming upriver have heat stress. And it's not just the river that's warming. The ocean is heating up, too. And that's problem number three. Climate change is bringing on more marine heat waves, periods of severe ocean warming. Jim Murphy is a NOAA fisheries biologist. He says marine heat waves are messing with salmon prey species. He says it's not totally clear what's happening at sea, but when he examines fish, one thing is clear. All salmon, but especially chum are not getting enough to eat.
1: Their stomach contents or the, the amount of food that they have in their stomach has been declining with warming temperatures.
2: And scientists say all three of these factors, disease, heat waves, a lack of food, build on each other. A fish that didn't eat enough is already weaker as it starts its journey up the Yukon add a parasite and heat stress, and that fish is a lot less likely to make it to its spawning grounds to reproduce, meaning fewer fish next year. On top of all of this, people along the river have another frustration, commercial fishing. Many residents point to Bering Sea trawlers and a commercial salmon fishery along the Aleutians that they argue are intercepting salmon at sea that would otherwise be bound for the Yukon.
1: It kind of pisses me off a little bit thinking about it. Because it's the double standard.
2: Basil Larson lives in Russian Mission on the lower Yukon. He spoke to a weekly teleconference for River Updates this summer. He says it's infuriating to see commercial fishermen pulling in hundreds of thousands of chum each season, while predominantly Alaska Native communities like Russian Mission have gone four summers barely able to fish.
1: We've been getting restricted and restricted and restricted, and and it's not even funny anymore.
2: Meanwhile, commercial fishers point to data that show only a small percentage of the salmon they catch are headed to western Alaska rivers. But Jim Murphy with NOAA says commercial fishing is the one contributor we have control over.
1: Most people recognize that it is not what is causing the collapse of these runs necessarily, but it is something that can be regulated to mitigate the effects of declining production.
2: For now, Yukon River residents are in limbo, waiting to see a fish return. Murphy says it doesn't look like kings will come back anytime soon, but he says there's hope for chum. A recent Bering Sea heat wave hit chum particularly hard, but ocean temperatures have subsided, and Murphy says signs are good for a stronger chum run in 2024. In Anchorage, I'm Kavitha George. For
0: KFSK, I'm Shelby Herbert.